Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. As you all know, uh, we have uh, the privilege of having on our airwaves tonight a very esteemed actor, character actor, who's uh, he's been in every movie with every action leading man there is, um, Patrick Kilpatrick. Audiences recognize Patrick from being one of the most recognizable character actors in the business. His numerous roles involve playing against the spectrum of leading action heroes. Patrick started his career after nearly dying in a car crash as a teenager. He rehabilitated to the point where he could largely do his own stunts in his more than 100 films and TV projects. His action film appearances span a multitude of genres and embraced an international hoo-hoo of leading men, the replacement killers against Jun Fat Choi, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and James Caan in Eraser, Last Man Standing opposite Bruce Willis, The Presidio opposite Sean Connery and Mark Harmon, just to name a few. It was his work on James Cameron's Dark Angel series that led Steven Spielberg to seek him out for Minority Report with Tom Cruise. So Patrick is currently directing the film of the feature film Active Shooter set for 2013 release. He has his own film company that does events and uh, motion picture business as well. In addition to the many roles that Patrick plays in the business, he's also he also teaches and speaks on acting, directing, producing, and writing at universities. Let's welcome to the airwaves this monumental man, Patrick Kilpatrick. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Deborah. Monumental. Jeez. <laughs> That's very kind of you. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I just had a really kind of an odd thing. My wife from 30 years ago called me, and, and uh, I just picked her up at the airport earlier. Um, and I haven't spoken to her in probably 30 years. So she felt compelled to seek me out. So I'm all excited to, to find out in dinner what that's all about. <laughs> oh, well, I hope it goes well for you, Patrick. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm pretty, pretty feisty at this point. Um, okay. Well, let's 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 get started. You you've had such an illustrious career, obviously, um, but let's go back to your roots. You were born in Virginia. How did that upbringing influence? Uh, did it influence what you decided to do for a career, or was it just organic that you kind of just grew into acting? Well, uh, Virginia probably influenced me only in the sense that. There's a very strong sense of history there, and I, I was there um, for some formative times. I got a very good education at a place called Woodbury Forest School for Boys in Orange, Virginia, um, and then I went to the University of Richmond, and then I kind of split my time between there and Connecticut, and I've always been grateful for that because, you know, that's sort of the Yankee, New England, Connecticut uh, foundation of America, and then there's... Virginia, which is very much a foundational American place. And so I've always been grateful for that sort of lineage, uh, if you would. And, and my parents were very big on education, and that had helped. Uh, I actually 
becoming an actor really was not a calculated move on my part. It was, uh, I just wanted to be a writer. So after college, I went to New York, and I worked almost 13 years as a an advertising writer and a journalist and a television journalist and a uh, fashion journalist and fashion advertising writer. And I, I literally sort of wrote my way into acting by accident. I ended up writing a play. Uh, and it was even more accidental than that. I started to save money, started splitting a house with an actor who was becoming a huge Broadway West, of, West End of London director, a guy named John Tillinger, and I was taking a break from journalism and advertising writing to write a novel, and I wrote a play instead, and that got produced, and I worked as John's assistant on Broadway in the West End of London, so I literally became an assistant director first, and then I was asked to join theater companies as founding members to select the plays, and they started sticking me in uh, as acting jobs when they needed somebody, and I'd always been very physical, so I kind of took to it like a duck to water, and it was meant to be. Um, but there was very much a, a literary basis to the whole thing, and certainly that comes from uh, from education as well. Absolutely. Well, uh, I understand that um, just just going back to you being a teenager. How um, did your accident, like, I know that it, it led to you, you know, doing stunts and being able to do stunts, but how did that accident, like, affect you your whole entire life? Well, it was a very uh, pivotal event, and I consider it a blessing because up until that time, I'd largely been just an athlete. I was very big into schoolboy athletics and, you know, swimming and horseback riding and football, basketball, baseball and wrestling and everything else. So I was naturally athletic, but the car accident caused me to be not able to play sports for a number of years. I mean, it was pretty rigorous. And so as a consequence, I took my my love of reading and followed through with becoming a writer. So by the time, the blessing was, I got into rehabilitative exercise, which stood me in good stead when I did all those stunts and massage and chiropractory and all those other things. And the other blessing was by the time I got to acting, I had the mind of a writer, and I think the mind of a writer and the body of an athlete, which is a pretty good combination. Absolutely. It was a very, very beneficial thing, Uh, uh, ultimately. A real blessing, really. Absolutely. Um, well, it's, it's wonderful that you took such a traumatic experience that you went through and you made it into a positive and you you got yourself forward instead of where you could have kept yourself, which was behind whatever. Well, the thing is with acting, you know, if you're carrying around a lot of physical baggage, then that's going to manifest itself. So I had to sort of straighten everything out before I could get into acting. And it's still, to be honest, I think of massage as a, as a and chiropractory as being a secret weapons to acting because if you're fighting Jean-Claude Van Damme 18 hours a day for two weeks, 
you better be getting some massages or you're going to get really stiff and somebody's going to get hurt. So um, the fact that it was necessary for me to get a lot of physical therapy and stuff made me realize how important keeping yourself balanced once you're in acting and keeping the work pristine because the, the worst thing you want to do is get stiff. That kind of closes off your emotional life and everything else. So um, all in all, it was real. It gave me a leg up on things. And, of course, the writing thing. I mean, you take Billy Bob Thornton. I knew he was a writer before he could sling blade because he was always in terrible movies, but he had the best lines. So oh. being a writer really helped me to to broaden some of the really not-so-great films that you get coming up. And even now, it, you know, I could have paid uh, as a subsidiary activity to polish scripts because directors will hire me knowing I can help out with that. Oh, my so, goodness. That's a good thing. Being literate and stuff is really important for actors. Uh, yeah. In fact, Producing and writing is probably the keys to any kind of longevity. Um, so. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so so obviously your career has included working with such actors as James Caan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Steven Seagal, Tom Cruise. Um, what did you learn from working with such screen legends as those? Um, well, sometimes, I mean, being a journalist and an observer, uh, I'm not so sure I learned a great deal about acting from those guys, but from watching other people handle celebrity or handle their experience of acting, uh, you always have an eye out for things that you really could mimic in, a, in another part of yourself. I mean, I, you take a guy take a guy like James Woods. I mean, James Woods is a brilliant man. I mean, yeah. he's a very smart guy. And he, when working on his television chart, he was totally involved in every single thing that was going on. So you get to observe his work ethic and you get to work, observe his conversational techniques and, and and improvisational methods and that kind of thing, and you can play off of that. Um, he's a very interesting character, so you can actually mimic somebody like that in a, in a job yourself if you wanted to. Um, you take a guy like Sean Connery. Sean Connery, very very much a movie star, very much a uh, a very hard-working movie star. John, uh, Tom Cruise is saying he's very enthusiastic, does his own stunts as much as they'll let him, very kind guy. I mean, I, I take my leadership from guys that I think are pretty well-behaved and uh, they're gracious human beings, and that goes back to Sir John Gilgood and, and Sir Lawrence Olivier. Uh, uh, I would say that learning things, I've learned a lot from watching Liam Heeson. Yeah. You know, but that's mostly from watching their work in movies. Uh, 
by the time um mostly by the time you get the job you're you're raring to go so you're not really you might be learning a little bit but it's it's you know and I tell my acting students, acting really isn't rocket science. There's an art component to it, but there are ways to do it. I mean, we teach people how to do a methodology that shows them how to get material at 10 o'clock at night, and the next day at 10 in the morning, your performance ready. I mean, I just came from an audition where I auditioned and then, as I'm going out the door, they said, we want you to read this other part, and they gave me eight pages. Well, I know how to take that eight pages and 20 minutes later come back and be totally off book and totally performance ready. So um, those are the kind of things you work from, you learn from working. Um, I certainly learned not to get into drugs and not to get into serious drinking because if you don't have really helpful habits, you're going to be diminishing your instrument pretty intensely. It's good to know a little bit about that as part of your education, but it's not good to lose yourself in poor physical and emotional habits on a daily basis. Um, We always say soldiers train like they fight. Um, Actors need to rehearse and practice like they perform. So you want to create an environment where you really are setting yourself up for being ready for almost anything. Um, and you have to then be able to willing to throw that out the window because you'll get on the set you'll get that on the set and the director has got a completely different vision of what you're doing. Right. So you have to be very flexible and adaptable. Now, now you you worked obviously with Steven Spielberg on Minority Report, and in your new film, I know that you are the director, the producer, the writer. Did any of uh, what you uh, experienced on Minority Report um, with Steven Spielberg kind of come into your experience as a director? Could you take some things that Steven did and kind of apply them for yourself? Yeah, I could. Uh, One thing I learned from Stephen, and it sort of had it driven into, is in an action film, you never let the camera stop. Oh. Uh, Now, now every rule has a time and a place to be broken, but in large measure, Stephen keeps the camera moving. A lesser director, I mean... Uh, lesser directors do certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you, who's, Stephen is a brilliant, high-budget director who is also incredibly frugal, and I, so that's something I learned from him too. If something isn't advancing your story, I don't care if the set is already built or whatever, he would wipe that right out. He also is constantly writing you're getting pages on, on a daily basis, um, so you've got to be ready to go that. But I think the key thing to remember is never let the camera stop in an action movie. Wow. Um, now, again, I might do an action movie. In fact, Active Shooter, we have stuff where the camera stops. 
but you've got to look for those very, very seldom places where that's appropriate. I think of it as like a symphony, you know, or a ballet. I mean, you're moving very furiously at one moment, and then all of a sudden it's very, very genteel and and, um, and melodious. Right. Um, he... Uh, He's a hard-working guy. He's interesting. I mean, I learned a lot by psychologically watching him. Right. Uh, you know, um, I've learned a lot from watching the work of of Sylvester Stallone's directing and and Norman Jewison or Martin Scorsese or uh, Mel Gibson. I mean, you take a, 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 a take the movie Braveheart when the little boy learns that his father and his 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 um, brother brother had been killed, um, mm-hmm. and they come up come up with the bodies. A lesser director would have had the kid turn and run to the horse and grab a hold of his his father uh, his father's dead body and do whatever. But Mel Gibson had the kid. He was getting water out of a well. He had him turn away and walk away. He could not deal with it, and and that's really fine directing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's little moments in that. How do you do that? I think it helps to be an actor to do that. It helps to uh, to actually audition actors, even if they're really skillful actors. You want to do that because you're mining the scene. Um, you know, I'm always looking for something that's brilliant directing uh, yeah. and brilliant producing. I mean, producing is a very, very creative thing because you've got to, particularly with the compression of budgets and things, you have to be very, very frugal and yet elevate. The solution solution to a problem has to save the production money and elevate the production. Yeah, Uh, that's true. So what, um, now, now, you don't only, you know, you're not only doing acting, as we were talking about before, you also do your own stunts in, in all those films that you that we were mentioning. Can well, you... I, I, had a, I had a double for about a decade, but they only use him for the most, most dangerous life-threatening right. things. Um, and generally, sometimes he's not there on a lower-budget film, so I'd have to do it, and I, I would say I did about 90% of the stuff. Um, and, and usually even the life-threatening stuff I would do once just because right. I would want to find out what that was like. Um, the guy who doubled me was a guy named Dave Rowden, and he did some really memorable stunts, mostly in a movie called Last Man Standing. He got blown out of a door and was almost killed. Um, God. The vast majority of it is fighting. A lot, vast majority of it is firearms, which I know how to use really, really well anyway. Um, I've done some driving, which I had stuntmen teach me how to do. Um, and, uh, you know, jumping through glass windows and stuff. So, Well, when you, when you do a stunt like that for a movie, what do you have to do? What takes when you do a stunt for a movie and what kind of preparation do you have to do to prepare for it? Well, every stunt is different, but I, I, I mean, if I have a rule about stunts, it's pad up completely. You know, some actors would be 
macho about it and not put a pad someplace, but oh. you want first of all, you're calculating your wardrobe sometime to um, the worst situation you want is to have to jump through a window nude, but um, uh, <laughs> or in boxer trunks or something, because then right. you're going to get a little flecks of glass all over you. But um, you want to pad up, so you're making decisions with your wardrobe about where to put those pads, and there's a general rule, it's a humorous one, but it's true, wherever you don't put a pad, that's where you're going to fall. So ah. you, you want to make sure that your coccyx in the back is protected and your hip bones, your elbows. You know, they've got very, very fine um, skateboard um, elbow and knee pads. You want to do that. I would put those things on even if I wasn't doing something uh, dangerous because if you have to drop to your knees, like say you're doing a combat movie, even though they wear they wear knee pads in real combat, but you don't want to have to be thinking about your knees when you go down. You want to be able to fully commit to sliding along the floor, shooting your automatic weapon or whatever it is, right. uh, and not worrying about your knees. And you're going to be much more confident and look a hell of a lot more cooler, uh, a lot cooler, not more cooler. That would be a improper English, but you, you, you're going to look a lot cooler if you're not worrying about those things. Right, right. So, what, what has been the most challenging, like, of all your stunts that you've done and you've fought in so many different movies, what has been the most challenging stunt you've ever had to do? Well, I would say the car, the driving stuff, you know, um, it's often not cha challenging or dangerous for you, but you've got to worry about other people. Um, the, the, the fights, the, the general thing with fights, you're going to get hit. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get, um, everybody's going to get a, a broken nose someplace sometime. That's just kind of part of the game. Um, but when you're roaring around with a, a vehicle, uh, that or a motorcycle or something, you run the danger of, of going out of control and hurting somebody else. So you've got to be really careful with that. Um, jumping through glass windows, even when it's that special glass, uh, is going to cut you up. But it's not inherently dangerous. It's just going to, you're going to get a lot of little shaving cuts all over you. Right. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, one thing that scares me that I've done a couple of times that I don't really want to do that again is those ratchets. Now, ratchets are, uh, they're a pneumatic drill system. You put a harness on, and if you're getting blown out a window after being shot or blown out of a car or something like that, that's what they use to virtually eject you out. And yeah. um, it's you can get hurt doing that stuff. You've got to be very careful that it's adjusted just to the right level and not over-adjusted. Uh, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it. And you do it so well, I mean, obviously. Um, well, now let's, let's talk a little bit more about your new film, Active Shooter. You're also taking on the role of director, producer, writer. What was the biggest challenge that you faced being the director-producer on this film? 
Uh, well, depending on where you are, sometimes the actors are the biggest challenge, particularly if they're not professionals. We use a lot of non-professionals, and sometimes ah. that's that's brilliant, and sometimes they're complete nutballs. Right. Um, I mean, uh, and it's interesting the, uh, you know, not everybody is a rigorous person, Deborah. You know, they're... So you've got to be very, very conscious of the delicacy of some people. The part of you wants to go, you know, suck it up and just get in there and go do that. Right. But not everybody functions like that. You know, right. uh, I, uh, you know, timing of assets is very, very important. Uh, you've got to be very flexible because let's suppose you're expecting a, a SWAT team at 3 o'clock and they don't show up and you've got to have something else to shoot immediately. Uh, if it rains, you've got to be prepared to go in and out. You know, uh, producing is, is a constant card shuffle. Uh, and the directing thing, you know, directing is relatively simple for me. I, first of all, I've done it on the stage, and also having been an actor, I know how to elicit a performance out of anybody. I mean, right. I, I don't care who it is. And we've had some people come into class that are extremely bizarre. And within 20 minutes, they, they'd be giving a really good performance. Uh, sometimes you have to just sit back and you have to go, okay, what exactly is going on here and what do I need to do to get the, to communicate to this person what they need to do. Generally, it's a relaxation thing. They may not have any concept of what they're actually putting out, and they think they're putting something else out. Right. Um, we've had guys come in from foreign countries, and they thought that they were just the coolest actors on the planet. It was terrible. But within 15, 20 minutes, you could loosen them up and get them to do that. People have conceptions of that, particularly beginning actors. They have conceptions that they have to keep the scenery. Film acting is very small. I said a while back, and I learned a lot from Liam Neeson. If, if you watch a movie called Prayer for the Dying with Liam Neeson and Mickey Rourke, it's about the IRA, Liam Neeson is set to kill Mickey Rourke when Mickey Rourke wants to get out of the IRA. Well, Mickey says, go ahead and shoot me, and then turns around and walks away. A lesser actor would have, you know, shaken themselves or been angry or something. Liam Neeson blinked, and that was it. He slowly closed his eyes, and it was an utter expression of despair, and it worked. And and that's been, I choose, not specifically blinking my eyes, but that small of a gesture can be very, very telling when you're doing uh, a performance. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of things. You've got to learn how to get the biggest bang from your buck uh, for producing and directing. You really have to do that. But it's a mindset. I'll give you an example. Look, I had a wedding I had to film. So I wanted it to be in a Spanish mission. Oh. Okay, but it had to be in a ruin, a Spanish mission that was in a ruin by the uh, ocean. Okay, so I went, I looked at all over California, and they didn't have any missions that were on the water. There are none, none. okay? 
uh, and they didn't have any that were. And then somebody said, "Well, well we, we started thinking. Okay, we'll go down to Mexico and we'll build a mission." Then um, somebody on the phone said, "Well, all the missions are in ruins down there." Well, then I got it. I mean, we could build. We didn't have. First of all, you've seen a lot of weddings at churches. We don't need that. So if we just build a ruin sticking out of the ground and then have uh, uh, some tents that are flowing off this hill, we could put it wherever we wanted, and we'd have a wedding that looked like no other wedding that had ever been filmed. So that's the kind of mindset you have to get into. How can I make this less expensive, and how can I make it better and more visually powerful? That's really the technique. Amazing, amazing. Um, now, you had mentioned that you, well, I know you're trained in firearms by Navy SEAL, and it mentioned the LAPD. What is that, what did that entail, Patrick? I mean, to say that you're trained by the Navy SEALs, I mean, everybody knows how amazing those guys are. Um, and how did that come about for you? Well, it came about because initially I was hired to do a Jean-Claude Van Damme film, and I had to be a prison guard, so I wanted to learn how to use a billy club like a really skilled um, uh, guard or policeman would be able to. So I was put in touch with the LAPD, and I became really good friends with them. And then, in fact, I was actually asked to start doing... uh, so I started studying with the guys from the who were the instructors at the academy, and John Pride, John Pride and Jim Fountain. They for they were robbery homicide guys. They were uh, ten years academy pistol instructors. In fact, John Pride is a four-time world pistol champion. So I started studying with them, and uh, we would do shotguns and rifles and pistols and. And I found, to to my surprise, that I actually loved doing it. I loved shooting is very meditative. Uh, For me, I go out, it's usually outdoors, it's like my golf. So I I found that I was kind of, I was good at it. Um, uh, I enjoyed the tactics of it. I enjoyed the learning of new skills because they're every, like all tools, you don't know how to use a lathe without learning how to use a lathe. You don't learn how to use a shotgun well uh, unless you learn how to use a shotgun well. The same is true. Probably the most involved is long-distance sniping is very involved. So, um, And then you're learning how to do movement with that kind of thing. And it's pretty pretty amazing. I mean, the LAPD is as advanced as any group. And then many of the Navy SEAL guys come out of the Navy SEALs and they become instructors, so I would work with them. Um, and, and then sometimes you get information that's uh, that's beyond what they're doing. So it just depends on how much you're, you're doing. I mean, there are, two, there are different styles of shooting a pistol, and the Navy SEALs use one style. And there's another style called center axis relock, which is very, very different. So you end up learning different styles. And I would do it competitively and fun. And then I started hosting a big charity event that was celebrity shooting and that kind of thing. In fact, it was my contacts with the police that got me into active shooter. 
an active shooter, which of course is on everybody's tongues these days, because that's what the police term for somebody who goes to kill some a group of people like Newtown or Columbine or, or, or that's that's what an active shooter is. And so the the evolution of the techniques and tactics to deal with people like that, and not only to deal with it but to prevent it. I knew that there was a movie in there, and so we began working with SWAT teams and police departments and all of that and started filming around the country to uh, put Active Shooter together. I mean, people don't realize, but that there's a commonality of the psychology of all of these people, and they're, they're by nature planners and fantasizers and all this other stuff, so... I knew there was a movie there as soon as I heard the term active shooter. So we now, we now have about 500 hours of footage and are in the process of editing the film. Oh, that's, gonna, that's a tedious process, I know. <laughs> it is. It's really laborious. I have a really good editor. Um, you know, and, and on a daily basis, I look at it and I go, I have two conflicting emotions. One is, um, God, we got some great stuff, and God, there's so much junk that we got to wade through. You know, it's just so, uh, but there's lots of tools, and that's what makes it worthwhile. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I wanted to mention you have traveled to Afghanistan, the United Arab Emirates, and Kyrgyzstan with the USO, can you share with us what that experience was like for you? And did it change your perspective about what you have heard about those countries? Well, I'd say just offhand, the first thing it makes you do is really appreciate America, although Dubai is just an extraordinary place. I mean, you've never seen a more tasteful commercial enterprise in their whole life. I mean, just the airport alone in Dubai is, I mean, you can buy anything, and it's all well presented, and it's stuff that you can't even buy here. Uh, uh, Mostly what I get from those countries is that what we have here in America is to be cherished. I mean, a lot of those places like Uzbekistan and stuff like that, were part of the Soviet Union, uh, and those people are still looking over their shoulders because they're not used in their DNA. They don't have the sense of freedom that we have here. So uh, Afghanistan, I mean, I was, I would, I feel very privileged to, you know, people don't really realize what our soldiers did over there, and about 50% of them were building bridges, building schools inoculating goat herds and kids from disease. About 50% of our energy over there was civil engineering and civil civil affairs uh, products rather than just military stuff. So um, I'm actually one of the, you know, in Hollywood, it's a very anti-war place, but I'm, I think we should all be quite proud of what we did over there. And, and, uh, and I hope very well for the countries. Um, I think they're they're far better off than where they were. I never met an Afghan who wasn't happy as a clam that we came. Right. Uh, I haven't been to Iraq, but I mean, and I and I talked to thousands of them. 
and I went all over the country. And every single one of them was, thank God you came. Stay forever if you need to, if you want to. Because they had been through 30 years of war. uh, And, uh, you know, the place is practically prehistoric anyway. I mean, it's pretty rugged, terrain. So uh, I'm just particularly proud of our military and what they do. And um, I think of them as liberators. And uh, I hope for the people of Iraq and Afghanistan that all comes out well, because ultimately it's going to have to be up to them. Right. That that they they take it and craft someplace else. I'm not particularly happy about what's going on with the Arab Spring and all these other things, but that's another story. You know, um, I think we have to work ever harder to to keep fostering democratic and Republican ideals in as many countries as we can. I don't necessarily think that that involves giving away money all the time. Yeah. Um, And I think we ought to review a lot of what we do there. But um, anyway, I enjoyed it. It was the time of a lifetime. You meet about 10,000, 20,000 of your key audience. You know, soldiers go to see uh, action films in droves. I would encourage any actor to go out there and meet them. And my dad was a was a veteran and a Purple Heart winner and Silver Star winner, and I uh, right. Purple Heart recipient. And so I've always been predisposed to veterans and the military gods. Oh, absolutely. Well, I I wanted that that just segues me into the next uh, the next question, which is I know you're very passionate about and active with the coalition to salute America's heroes. Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, and California Paralyzed Veterans. What can you tell us about these organizations, and how can people get involved if they want to help? Well, California Paralyzed Veterans is is a group. Uh, it's actually a national group. There's Paralyzed Veterans of America, and California Paralyzed Veterans is the division of, of that. Um, they're a great bunch of guys. Most of them are obviously in wheelchairs. Um they do. A, that's another thing about shooting. They they're very big shooters, so they'll shoot trap and skeet, and they have tournaments and stuff uh, where a guy who's in a uh, a wheelchair can compete with an unchallenged shooter because they can shoot. So uh, they can't always go over all the same terrain, but now they even have uh, they have all terrain wheelchairs and things that are almost like ATVs. So. Um, it's a privilege to go out for those guys. I've been able to raise a little bit of money for them through um, the charity shooting events that we've had. And, and we, it, what's sad about that is interesting that the young soldiers are not participating in those things that much. It's mostly Vietnam vets uh, that are involved in those things because I think for some reason, I think a lot of vets come back and they have a tremendous sense of isolation that yeah. vets didn't have in previous wars. Certainly in the Vietnam War they did. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the Veterans of Foreign Wars organizations, they're largely not being attended like they used to. So um, Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, I'm happy to say I got in on the ground floor of that stuff. And 
Now the predominant uh, organization in that realm is the Wounded Warrior Project, but um, Coalition to Salute America's Heroes was an early manifestation of that. Um, and, uh, you know, we say, of course, but it was not always so. It's only now that people are beginning to treat uh, our veterans and with a little bit better uh, thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very hard sometimes to get actors to go to those places to entertain troops uh, because uh, I think very selfishly and sort of myopically, they don't realize that they're meeting their audience, they're doing what's right, and uh, they're going to have an extraordinary time, but their agents don't like them to go because they're not making any money, and uh, and and they may legitimately be worried about their safety, but there, there's nothing really they have to, you're covered very intensely by the Defense Department and the Armed Forces. Um, what are some of the other? There's some small organizations, Gallant View, that does some great stuff that we've supported. Um, uh, they actually um, uh, take care of the orphans of the men and women who have been killed in oh. Afghanistan and Iraq, and they their goal is to take the children on activities that their fathers or mothers would have taken them on if they were alive, whether it's fishing trips or or soccer games or whatever it is, um, to essentially become surrogate fathers and mothers a bit uh, for these kids. Uh, They do some great work. Um, There's a lot of good organizations out there, but Wounded Warrior Project has become huge and very well-funded. After a certain point in time, I put my energies in some of the smaller grassroots things that, that needed to help more. Right. Brook Army Medical Center, I mean, Brook Army Medical Center, uh, I I urge anybody to go there if they can because it will take your breath away. The the wounds that some of these guys have had to deal with, and yet they still deal with it with a sense of esprit de corps and wit and humor, it's mind-boggling. I'm not a lightweight, but those wounds, particularly, you know, nowadays they keep them alive uh, with severe head injuries and multiple limb loss as severe burns, uh, the burns are probably the scariest thing. They do the ma- amazing things with amputations now because, I mean, witness the Pretorius, the guy who was in the Olympics, with his uh, his uh, artificial limbs. Right. So they can get those guys. They have guys return to combat uh, missing an arm and stuff. And they have to meet, meet the same criteria as those who uh, who don't have missing limbs. So um, they do amazing things. Personally, it, it made me so that I'm not really afraid of losing a limb. Getting burned oh. over 90% of your body is another matter. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Or missing half of your head because of an IED. That's so, true. Uh, Brook Army Medical Center is an astounding place. I mean... Uh, I can't imagine anybody going to a place like that and not realizing um, you have to do something beyond just signing an autograph, although they deeply appreciate that. Um, What I've set it as a goal is we try to write wounded warriors into as many movie and 
media projects that we do to actually give them jobs so that they can actually come away from the experience somewhat like I did with my my back injury that if not for my injury I wouldn't be here in this particular place on the planet. Right. So if you can take a guy who's had a huge severely injured, severe injury and yet put him on a movie set in an acting part um, then he's going to say then there's some benefit to what I went through. Right. right. You know, it's led me to this point in my life. Um, I really do believe all negative, what we perceive as negative events, really are just pivotal events that are sending us on our purpose. So um, that's a little hard to swallow when you lose two, your both legs and one arm. But I met a lot of veterans who function that way, and they get to a point where they would not go back. Uh, we, uh, we've we done some work with a thing called Bay Area Builders Association. They build houses that are set up for guys with severe um, injuries, you know. So we've built five houses so far. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I, I, I can say this. I know for all my listeners, God bless the military. Um, we love them. Uh, we support them. I know I do, and my family was in the war. So I understand, and God bless all of our veterans also that have served for us. Um, we, uh, I want to thank you for the time that you've taken with us. What a fascinating interview. What a fascinating look inside the life of an actor, producer, director, uh, that we've gotten this this uh, this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. Um, and uh, if you could just hold on the line for a second, I'll just close out the show real quick. Um, all right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, for this interview with Patrick Kilpatrick. Everyone have a nice evening. I'll be back Thursday night with Janique. Janique. So uh, have a great evening. Yeah.